So man, man, we have an appointment with God in, in April, let's say April 18th or the 20th, I think it is. And so in March 3rd, we'll start uh, letting people register and, and that kind of thing. We want you to come be a part. You know, wives, encourage your husbands to go, man. I mean, your voice is a strong influence in their life. And so, uh, you know, we're, uh, we've just grown every year. You know, we're praying for 300 men this year to be a part of it and just to see what God does. We're excited about that. Hey, I want to share a few things with you before we get into our message. One is, is that if you're a guest with us and we're glad that you're here, thank you for being with us today. We're not going to have you stand up and come down front or anything like that. We just want to say, you know, thank you for being here. If you're in a place where you're you believe that God is dealing with you to find a church that's a good fit for you or for you and your family, you know, that's a good thing to see God's face about that because, you know, it's, a, it's important where he plants you because if he puts you there, then, you know, you're there until he says, I got something else for you. And so here's what we ask people, man, come three and see. In other words, like if you show up here three times, you'll get a pretty good idea of who we are and what we're about. And so, uh, you know, just, uh, and then, you know, I think if you come three times, if it's like, if it resonates with you those times and God's, you know, just his voice is clear that what you're supposed to do one way or another. And so we would encourage you to do it. Also, during the 1032 service, which is right now, we have a class that takes place called Growth Track. And in that is a class where you learn who we are, what we believe, what matters to us doctrinally, how we're governed, where you fit. We even have a giftings test. And so it's like a four-week class. It takes place every Sunday during this service, except for uh, the fifth Sunday months. In other words, like whenever there's a fifth Sunday on that Sunday, there's no class. But every other Sunday, you just start whenever, and you'll just kind of uh, cycle out and see that. And then... Um, and then that'll, it'll teach you what you want to know about, about the, uh, the church, and it'll give you a chance to, to answer quest, ask questions, answer questions, all that kind of thing. And, and again, we're, we're grateful for our guests from the school that are here. Um, also, I want to say hi to everybody that's watching online. Thanks for engaging with us. And I want to encourage you, whether you're here or on, online, to be sure and like and share you know, our service on Facebook just, uh, you know, just so people you know, get a chance to hear, an opportunity to hear uh, from God's Word. Well, we started a series a couple of weeks ago. It'll be the longest series that we've ever done, and it's called The Good Book. And we're taking 40 significant events from the Scripture this year, and we'll be talking about those. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's, there are books, I think, available. We have some for sale that we've kind of gotten this idea from. And you know, our first week, we talked about Genesis 1, creation. The last week, Genesis 3, Pastor Aaron talked about the fall. And today, we're going to talk about Noah. How many of you have heard of Noah before? Let me see your hand like, yeah, no, you remember him and the Ten Commandments? Do you remember Noah and the Ten Commandments? Oh, that's the wrong guy. Yeah, right. And Noah had the boat, right? So Noah and the ark, right? He's the guy that we're looking at. And, and so, um, yeah. And so, you know, as we read this account, and by the way, man, I felt that cool air come on. It's the will of God. Did you feel that? And so, yeah. So I get distracted sometimes. So, um, but here's, you know, um, this, isn't a, this isn't a fairy tale. It's not a fictional story. It's a historical account of a man that walked with God, an imperfect man that walked with God. And so uh, maybe all of you, but if not all of you, most of you are familiar of Noah and you know, kind of what he did and how God used him. I want to give you just some, some bullet points information before we get into it. Uh, first of all, that the oldest man to ever live on record was a guy named Methuselah. How many of you have heard of Methuselah before? Everybody said, well, you're, he's older than Methuselah. Probably not because Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. And if whoever you're talking about is older than Methuselah, I want to meet him. And so, 
And so he would be 969 years old. He was actually Noah's grandfather. Did you know that? He was the grandfather of Noah. And Methuselah's name literally means, when he is dead, then it shall come. Well, Methuselah, when he was 969, he died. In that year, the flood came. In other words, he was kind of a timepiece that God was getting ready to do something in the earth based upon what was taking place. And so he was, um, he was Noah's uh, grandfather. Also, it took Noah over 100 years to build the ark. Over 100 years. That's an incredible amount of time, you know. And so it was a long time that it took him to do that. When it started raining, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was torrential, must have been, because there was so much rain that the water at its peak was 22 feet above the highest peak on the earth. That's how high it was. So you think about the highest mountaintop or whatever, that the water was so high that it was 22 feet above that. Um, they were on the ark for a year and 10 days. Now, this is something interesting. When you read the account that, um, that the water kept rising for, I think, like 150 days or something, and then, and then it began to recede. And, but even after it receded, they didn't get off the ark yet. For whatever reason, God had them stay on the ark for a little while longer where we finally said, okay, now's the time. And so they were on it for a year and 10 days. Um, now, I thought this was interesting that the first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark, this was the first thing we got off the ark, is he built an altar and he worshiped God. Isn't that an incredible thing? That he gets off the ark in this pivotal moment in God's relationship with humanity and that Noah was chosen. And there's, we'll look at some reasons why. He was chosen and God used him to secure humanity's place on the earth so that we could be saved, so that Jesus, there would be a humanity to rescue, to save. And so um, he built an ark and worshiped God there. As many of you know, the rainbow was put in the, uh, God put that in the sky as a sign of the covenant that God made with Noah, that God would never destroy life on earth by water again. Now, here's an interesting thing from a historical standpoint, that nearly 300 cultures agreed that there was a catastrophic flood. Uh, according to scientist Dr. Dwayne Gish, there are more than 270 stories about a catastrophic flood from cultures around the world. So, I mean, you talk about historical verification of this event taking place, it's overwhelming. And so 270 stories about it from different cultures all over the earth. Most of these stories bear similarities to the biblical story of Noah and the ark. Eight humans survived the flood and provided eyewitness accounts to future generations. So how did there come to be so many similar versions of the biblical account of the flood? Well, it makes sense where you consider that in addition to the passage of time, language was confounded during the building of the Tower of Babel. A couple of hundred years after the Great Flood, and so a couple hundred years after the Great Flood, the Tower of Babel incident took place. These two factors undoubtedly contributed to the development of variants of the story. One historian, and I don't know how they know this, said that when they built the Tower of Babel, that the material they used was waterproof. So there was, there was a clearly memory and, and recollection of what had taken place before the dispersal of humans. So just a lot of, to me, interesting things about this account that even gives it more validity historically. So we're going to look at this today. So if you would grab hold of your Bible and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll be taught the Word of God. And I'll never be the same again. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis 6. 
Genesis 6. This is where this account begins. It's a, the whole account altogether is a few chapters long. Um, and Noah's mentioned in some other places in Scripture. Jesus mentioned him one time in the Gospels where he said, As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And so he's mentioned there by Jesus, again, giving credibility to that account. And so um, in Genesis 6, verse 5, it says this. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Isn't that wild? That the account it gives is that what was taking place with humanity is that the behavior of people was just so broken, so dark, that it broke the heart of God. The great God of the universe was moved and impacted by how people treated each other, by how they responded to the things that God has given them. He said, I'll I'll wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth and destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small ones that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm I'm sorry I ever made them. I've said this before, but I I think it's one of those things you're going to hear from me a lot because I really do think that it's something that just really happened in the church. I see this happen. Like, you know, if you've ever driven before and like, you know, you, your, your wheels get a little bit on the side of the road, what do we do sometimes? We overcorrect, right? We're like, shunk. We overcorrect. I think sometimes when it comes to, to theology, that's the study of God and Scripture, that, um, that sometimes we overcorrect. And, and, you know, for years, people ever, hardly ever talked about the love of God. They talked about judgment and all those other kind of things. And I think in that was lost the fact that God loves us. As a matter of fact, 1 John doesn't just say that he loves us. It says that he is love. He is love. Everybody say this. Say, I know that God is love. And he loves me. And so we made that adjustment. But I think in that, the correction was, was just so over-exaggerated. There's some things that we lost sight of, and I've mentioned this before, but I'm just going to say it and say it and say it again because I'm speaking against the voice of culture, even in what's being said in in some churches, and I love the church. I love the local church. But but the truth of the matter is, is that we've embraced that element of God so much that we believe that because God loves me, that he's indifferent to what I do. Well, I just know that God loves me, so I'm going to keep doing this. Well, he does love you. He does love you, but, but in what other relationship does your love for somebody make you indifferent to how they behave? I love my wife, and you know what my love for her does? It causes me to care about what she does. And not because I'm a control person, but there's just certain things in every healthy relationship of boundaries. That are there, right? I mean, don't your healthy relationships, people you love, don't both of you have boundaries that are set up? Like in our relationship for it to work, these are lines that we don't cross. And so in this, that, you know, so many times people think that no matter what they do, that God's kind of indifferent. Well, there is a reality that he loves us regardless, but his love doesn't make him indifferent to my behavior, to your behavior, to our behavior. Matter of fact, it causes him to engage more with it. Now, yesterday was my mom's birthday. She passed away in 2009, and so she had me later in life and that kind of thing. 
And, um, and so, but, you know, I mean, she had a great influence on my life. I'm very grateful for her. Now, her and my dad, you know, they, were, they loved each other. They were married for 50 years before my father passed in 2005. And um, they, you know, that the Bible says that when you, that the, they that love their kids, um, if you love your children, if, if you spare the rod, it doesn't say you spoil your kids, it's he that spares the rod hates his kids. So in other words, you know, that one of the signs that you love your kids is the fact that you correct them. That's a sign that you love your kids. My parents loved me. <laughs> they loved me a lot. <laughs> and I, I deserved their love on several occasions. And I, and I hardly ever enjoyed that. Matter of fact, Hebrews even says that the correction is hardly ever, it's not enjoyable. And, and again, I, I say amen to the scripture. But, you know, there were times where in my behavior where I would go so far that I, the, the correction I would get would not be along those lines. There would be time that my, my behavior would go so far that my, it, it literally hurt my mom's heart. I can remember there would be times where she would start crying based upon decisions that I'd done. I, I wanted to just be like, just spank me. You know, I mean, it's what I wanted to do. It's just because I didn't want to hurt her. Now, her love for me was true. It was consistent. It was certain. She loved me in those moments still. But because she loved me, she was engaged with what I did. She wasn't indifferent to what I did. I mean, it hurt her. And right here, you know, with humanity and in their attitude towards God and in the way they treated each other, that as God looked at it, he wasn't like, well, I just love them, so it's okay. No, it's like, I can't believe they're doing this. The new living, it broke his heart. That doesn't say indifference, does it? That when I'm selfish sometimes or I'm angry, I do things when I, when I, when I sin, when I, when I miss the mark for what God has for me, yeah, yeah he, he loves me, but it's, I know sometimes, you know, there are times I almost, <laughs> on the inside, there are times I'll, I'll say things or do things and I can almost sense the Holy Spirit go, oh. The Bible talks about not grieving him. That he, he's grieved sometimes. And so when we read this historical account of this event that took place, one of the things it shows us is that, that with my sin, it has the potential that it, it breaks God's heart. It impacts him. He's just like a parent, he's a father to those that trust him. That, that, and just like any good parent, he cares about the choices that we make. It matters. I, I'm, I'm the guy that says, and I'll say it again today, that Jesus didn't come because humanity needed another religion. He came because he wanted us to have a relationship with him and the Father. And sometimes people hear that and they'll say, well, well you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever. And again, we miss the mark. Every healthy relationship has boundaries. Why would our relationship with God be any different? It's one of the ways that we declare our love is by saying, what do you need from me? And so in this, number one is this, is that one of the things it shows is that my sin, that it, it breaks God's heart. 
Let's look at number two in Genesis 6. Let's keep reading there in verse 8. It says this, but Noah, but Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless, everybody say blameless, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Say close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shimham and Japheth. So it says this about him, that first of all, he was blameless. Now, when you think about blameless, the implication there is that he was blameless and how he lived in front of other people. In other words, his, his walk was consistent. Now, this can be a bit intimidating because I want to be blameless, but can I tell you there are times where my walk is not consistent with who I say I am and what I believe. I've said this before, and I say it again because it's good for me to be reminded, and I think we're probably the same, probably we need to be reminded of this, that all of us have three lives. We have a secret life, and that's the life that only me and God know it takes place. We have a private life, and that's the life that only people in my circle see. And we have a public life, and that's the life that I let everybody have access to. Now, my life is at the most peace when my secret life and my public life look the same. I'm just going to be real transparent with you for a minute. There have been seasons in my life where my secret life and my public life are different. It creates such turmoil on the inside of me. It just, there's just this thing, it's just, doesn't feel right in my life. There, there have been times that my private life and my public life are different. And again, I'm just, there's just something about it. I'm at the most peace when my secret life looks just like my public life and my public life looks just like my secret life. That who I claim to be publicly, I am in reality. And I wish I could tell you that I made a decision years ago that there would never be any inconsistencies, that I would never blow it or whatever. And if you found the key for that, I need to know because I haven't found the key for that. It's an ongoing conflict for me. To want to be who, who God has called me to be. So, so you see that taking place publicly and you can trust. You know, I want to be in a place where you can trust that secretly the same thing's happening. And so, for Noah, he, was, he walked right with God, and he was blameless before people. So his, his secret life and his public life were consistent. If you take a notes, number two is this, is that Noah's life stood out by how he walked with God and before people. Now, these next two points, they're kind of tricky because the truth of the matter is that anything that God does for us, none of us deserve it, right? I mean, I know for years and before I got into full-time ministry, I kept saying, well, if I, when I get to this point, then God can use me. But the truth of the matter is I never got to a place where I deserved being used by him. It was never like, well, hey, I'm good enough now. I was never to that place. I'm still not. 
It's the grace of God that causes him to use us, right? He doesn't use us because we're good. He uses us because he's good. However, there still should be this desire in all of us that to let God be doing a work in us, that his conviction and correction matters to us, that we're, we're pursuing with his help to be who he's called us to be and who he's created us to be. And so, you know, it wasn't like Noah won heaven's lottery where God's looking down there and he's going, man, their behavior is going to bring about judgment upon the earth, but humanity's got to survive. And so we've got to pick one person, Noah, Bring over the bingo ball. We're going to bring it over, and whoever name comes up, okay, turn that wheel around. No, it's your lucky day, buddy. You and your family are going to survive. Like You're like the worst human being in the world, but we're going to use you. No, that wasn't it. It had to be somebody that in their life, and we even after we read, if you'll continue to read the account of Noah after the flood was over, you know, some of the decisions he made, there was one thing that he did shortly after the flood was over. Huge mistake. That you're like, that sounds like something I would do, you know? And so if you read his account and see those things, but we just know that it, apparently that he endeavored, even in his imperfect state, he endeavored to walk with God. Not that he was perfect, he blew it. He endeavored to live a blameless life in front of people. In other words, those, he wasn't indifferent to those things. And so that tells me also that there'd be times that he fell. And I'm sure when he fell, that God expected him to do the same thing he expects me to do. And that is, he expected him, if you fall, what do you do? You get back up. And I've said this, that if we're not an example in the way that we live, then we should be an example in the way we repent and the way that we apologize. To be able to say, I did that and that was wrong and I'm just incredibly sorry. Would you forgive me? And so there's a witness about that and a testimony about that. But right here as we read this account with Noah, to know this that Noah's life stood out by how he walked with God and before people. Let's look at this last one at verse 17. And God said this, he said, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything in the earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. He's talking to Noah. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. Now listen to this. So Noah did everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. So God had told him what to do and he did it just the way that God told him to do it. You, know, you think about this, that so many times we want God's purpose, but we don't want God's plan. You know, no, of course, God, I want to be the family that you use in this moment. I want to be the family that survives, that you can trust with this. I want your purpose. And then God says, okay, for that to happen, this is what I want to see you do. This is how it needs to take place. And I wrote this down just because it resonated with me. I said, sometimes we want God's purpose, but not God's plan. And so, and again, it's, there's, it's kind of a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a thin line here because again, I don't merit anything that God gives me yet. On the other hand, there is a reality that my obedience positions me for what he wants. I've shared the story with you once before and in a few weeks I'll speak to the students and I'll share it with them when it comes to dating and that kind of thing. But, um, 
you know, Tina and I, we've known each other for 39 years, 39 years we've known each other. We were three when we met. And so I was, um, I'm just kidding. I was four. No, I was considerably older. So, but anyway, <laughs> and so she was a, you know, she was a hairstylist and, and that kind of thing. And I had more resources to work with then. And um, I don't know why you're laughing, but anyway, um, so, but her, there was a late, the way I met her was that I was, a friend of mine's wife was cutting hair, so I went in, she cut my hair, and I saw Tina, and I was like, man, she's like really pretty, and so I talked to her, and she was like hugely unimpressed, and so, um, but that didn't discourage me, I was kind of thick, so I just kept, you know, reaching out to her, and, um, and so I thought that what happened was, was, you know, she's going to Bible school, she's from California, and she felt like the Lord had dealt with her, that she's not supposed to go to California, back to California yet, that she's supposed to stay in the area, and so then, you know, she thought, okay, well, I, uh, you know, um, so she got interested. And I thought that was because of that. Well, last year we're talking, and she said this. She said, um, and she'd never shared this with me before, but she said, I was in church on a Wednesday. I went to the same church. It was a large church, and they did midweek services. And she said, I was sitting there, and I saw you come in a door, you know, across the auditorium. And she said, you, you came in, and I, I, I noticed that you were, you were by yourself. You weren't with anybody. And then whenever worship started, you were engaged in worship. And she said, my heart turned at that moment. Now, I wish I could tell you that, oh, yeah, I remember that time. It was such and such. But can I tell you, I don't. I, I don't. It was, it was, just, it was a Wednesday night. I, I don't know what I had going on. I don't know if there were things I said no to in order to get there. I don't know if I had other distractions that... And just had made a decision. Which I, I don't know anything about the circumstances. So up until this story that there wasn't anything that was so significant that was a part of my memory. Matter of fact, in that moment, it may have felt from just a comparison of events, insignificant. I'm not saying that worshiping God is insignificant. But you get what I mean. I mean, if you've been to church a bunch to draw a distinction from one service to the other... You know, how do you do that? And yet in this moment, just being in the place that I needed to be, just engaging with God's heart like I needed it, and, and I wish I could tell you that I've always done that, but there are seasons in my life where I haven't. But for whatever reason, in this moment that I had no unique memory of that seemed comparatively common, God made uncommon. Because I didn't remember it, but he does. And it didn't stand out to me, but it stood out to him. And he took this moment for the person that he had called me to marry to see me. To impact her heart. And directing her towards me. something about engaging with God's plan that it, it automatically takes us to his purpose. When you think about the design of the ark, when they talk about it here and its structure and that kind of thing, it's, there's a lot of things about it that are very unique and specific, and yet there's one thing that's not mentioned on here. A rudder. In other words, there wasn't anything apparently for Noah to steer this boat. And doesn't that just go against what you want in that moment that, 
that I, I want some say, I want some control. And yet in this moment, that God's plan was, was that you don't get to steer this ship. That there were so many elements of it that he had to trust God with, that even the direction that it went. And he trusted him so much that, man, if you put me on a boat with my family and a bunch of animals for like a hunt, you know, for a long time, I'm looking for a way to get up. I may even take up smoking. I mean, who knows? I'm just, you know, I'm just looking for a way to like, Lord, please help me. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. He, <laughs> I'm kidding. So don't, don't be giving me a chip from recovery. Anyway, so here's the thing. <laughs> okay, stick to your notes, dude. Okay, so here's... But... But he was so connected to being committed to God's plan, to obedience, that even after the ground dried up, he stayed on the ark until God said, now's time. Now's the time. Do it now. Obedience positions me for God's purpose. If we want God's purpose, we have to embrace his plan. I, if I want a good marriage, then his plan is that I have to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. Wives, if, if you want a good marriage, you have, you have to respect your husband. If we want our kids to, to be a part, if we want to be a part of what God's called them to be and for them to be a part of who he's raised them to be, we have to endeavor to raise them in the, in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the correction of the Lord. His plan's not separated from his purpose. Noah did everything when it came to this event. He did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Later on, it says that when they were in the ark and everything had dried up, it says this, that God remembered them. And again, it's not like he forgot him, like, oh yeah, we got those people down there in the boat we got to take care of. But it was just that moment where their obedience positioned them for this. Now's the time. And as we read this account that's connected to the redemption of humanity without this moment without Noah endeavoring in his imperfect state to live blamelessly, to walk closely with God. The story of humanity would have ended in this moment. But this man who, in a culture that was resistant to the things that he stood for and believed, was picked by God not because he preached better than everybody else, but he walked straight. Obedience positions me for God's purpose. I want us to take a moment just for our own lives to just get before God to kind of make our own altar in our own heart. 
where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We listen to what Jesus is telling us to do and dealing with us about and you know, if we need to repent, then we do that or receive the forgiveness of God. I'm, 